0: Hey, Wildcat Radio fans. It's Bryant. Thank you for tuning in. Adam and Ronnie are recording this week. They're going to give a podcast specifically on Arizona football news, Arizona basketball news, everything in the University of Arizona. In the meantime, Rob and I are in the midst of a 12-part series. We're breaking down every single Pac-12 team as part of our 12-pack radio podcast, which you can subscribe to on Google Play, TuneIn Radio, Apple Podcasts, and you can follow us on Twitter at 12 Radio at 12 Radio. And we're getting a pretty good following, so I'm pretty excited about that. So join the party by following us over there. It's a lot of Washington fans. And there is reason for that because we are doing a Washington podcast right now. This is the podcast we previewed with our friends at the dog pod, uh, the Washington football program. I did a big deep dive. This is a fascinating team. They will likely compete for the PAC 12, uh, championship in general, not just in the North and are one of the best teams, that could i don't think they will maybe but they could at least try to challenge to get somebody in that college football playoff so i really like this interview i thought it was pretty fun and i hope you enjoy it wildcat radio Welcome back, beautiful people, to 12-Pack Radio, the most interesting podcast in your face covering Pac-12 football news, Pac-12 basketball news, sometimes, and Pac-12 recruiting news. This is Brian Conger, the host of 12-Pack Radio and Wildcat Radio. Thank you for tuning in. This is part three of our 12-part series. We're breaking down every single Pac-12 team, going deep dives into the depth charts. We're doing advanced statistics, and joined, as always, uh, is my guest, the grandmaster guru of the beta Rank advanced college football statistical model, Mr. Rob Barron. What's going on, Rob? I uh, I'm excited to be
1: here. I I'm really excited to uh talk about the huskies actually. Let's uh like this 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 one should be fun.
0: Yeah, Rob, I didn't know you were huge in Seattle. We have uh you have uh, quite a <laughs> following of husky fans that have been going back and forth which is super cool i'm actually it was really fun uh talking with husky fans asking about like you know some of the really intriguing prospects in the wide receiving core which we'll go over but i really enjoyed those conversations so thank you for directing everybody towards uh <laughs> whatever questions you were asking it worked
1: i have i i have recently become quite popular with husky fans yes uh <laughs> like that, and they are husky fans are um uh, they are, let's put it this way. They are not Oregon state fans or Stanford fans. I sometimes sort of feel like I am shouting into the void when I'm throwing Stanford content out there. So,
0: um, it's,
1: no, it's they'll nice give that it right to... back to you. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah well, they, let, they let you know they're there. I mean, like Stanford <laughs> fans, you're like, are they,
0: is anyone home? <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, I, I think this is going to be one of our favorite podcasts. Uh, one of the, Really, what got us into covering Pac-12 football news outside of doing Arizona was the pretty much the godfather podcast of Pac-12 podcasts. It was the ultimate Pac-12 podcast a long time ago. Our friends over at the Dog Pod that now have are specifically and exclusively covering Washington football. I love that podcast. You do a great job. And the Law Dog from the Dog Podcast is on to talk Washington football. What is going on, Alex?
2: Man, you guys, just this is making my summer. Are you able to talk Husky football right now? This is just the best thing.
0: It's a beautiful time. It's it's the worst time in the world, but it's a beautiful time because we can actually start dipping our toe into who's coming back and getting those, you know, getting all that energy flowing and stuff. I, I was going through Washington's depth chart, and there's really some fascinating positions to talk about. And but before we do that, Alex, I should probably ask you. Um, Last year we covered we watched basically every Pac-12 game. We covered every team and we we're big fans of making sure and hoping and like cheering on the best teams in the Pac-12 because the conference needs to get back to the college football playoff. Uh, I love the Husky coaching staff. I love the fact that Peterson is recruiting at a really high level now. And, uh, and that that's been happening over a while, but what he did more at Boise was get pretty good talent and then really coach them up. And now he's getting really good talent and coaching them up. So, the Huskies are on such a good track that we hold them to a higher level, right? I, I want the Huskies to be in the college football playoff. I want them to breeze through the pack 12 North or whoever the, the leading candidate is. I want that to happen. And for the last couple of years, it's been the Huskies. And for all intents and purposes, they had a pretty good season last year, but didn't get over that hump. And I'm just curious what Washington fans think of this last season, and what the expe- expectations were coming into the season in that first game against Auburn, and then what they were, were at the end uh, at the end of your bowl game.
2: Well, so I think that story, the answer to that question really begins with 2016, because that team really came out of nowhere, not, not nowhere, but I mean, Husky fans had high expectations, but it made the college football playoff, right. And played, you know, pretty tough against Alabama in year three of Chris Peterson. And I think that that really dialed up the expectations from there. And the following season, you saw a big step back offensively from Jake Browning and um, fans were just kind of scratching their head. Hey, is this just a down year or is this guy really like regressing or maybe he just doesn't have the same weapons that he used to have. Uh, With a continuation of that, where there was kind of more offensive regression to a point where Browning even got benched uh, for a short period late in the season. And, So that's really the question that I can't answer. It's very divisive among, I think, followers of Washington uh, in that is this kind of, was this Jake Browning's kind of fault that the Huskies really um, regressed so much offensively? I'd say if you look at the defensive side of the ball, they have really, like, progressed. Even from a really good defense in 2016, they've improved their points against... um, and some of their defensive rankings from year to year, even from a very elite defensive Pony 16. So on the defensive side of the ball, I know fans look around and say, hey, this is a great team. And offensively, I know it's just been so divisive. How do we explain this, this step back? Because they had a really strong returning running game last year, strong offensive line returning, and they just couldn't get that passing game going, and teams knew it. And so it was a lot easier, particularly late in the season to really key in on that. And I just, I don't have any explanation beyond that.
1: Washington's interesting in that, like there, I think that there is a big perception from washington fans that um that the the huskies were bad on offense in 2017 and in advanced stats they were actually good and they they had a they took a little bit of a step back on defense um in 2017 they were still a very good defense coming in at 25 but their offense came in at number 14 in beta rank um but last year holy moly did that offense fall off the map um I mean, they they graded out at number 49 in Beta Rank last season, and and I think we had a lot higher expectations, given how much returning per, returning production they had, and you know the, the increased recruiting um, there that that they'd be able to sort of take a step forward. I, I think from the outside, I look at it, and I, I I really think people underrated Jonathan Smith as a play caller, and I say that because. I think we saw at Oregon State he made a big difference from day one, um, but I don't know. I mean, yeah, like I, a lot of a lot of Husky fans, I think are sort of like they're sort of. I think they're underselling 2017 maybe <laughs> a little bit, um, but I also think that there's there's maybe a little bit too much put on Jake Browning, like who was consistent, like had three years of good offenses.
2: Everything you just said is the there's something that the dog pod would agree with. We've been saying that for all these years, Jonathan Smith is getting way too much crap from the fans. He was doing a good job and all of this um, blame that was thrown at Jake Browning was a little bit too much. Also. I mean, he was without really any. So the reason, the reason I went back to 2016 is because you had on that team, you had John Ross, Dante Pettis, those guys went yeah. in the top two rounds of the NFL draft and you know, he could just pick your poison at that point. He had Miles Gaskin, who's one of the greatest running backs in in uh, Washington history, and then every offensive lineman that started on that team either made first team, second team, or honorable all mention uh, honorable mention all Pac twelve. That's unfair. In, in You're not allowed to do that. <laughs> no, yeah. Not in this conference. <laughs> well, at least at least at some point in their careers, right? So, Carras being the one who finally, you know, so. I think he, that team was loaded. That offense was loaded. And so, you know, it was too easy. I'm almost, and and some of those games that we just watching it, you know, when we were playing some of the worst teams in the conference, you could really tell. So yeah, I think in 2017, the offense was still pretty solid because they still had Pettis, but they really did not have any reliable pass catcher coming back into last season, 2018. And except for Hunter Bryant, who then got injured in the off season and didn't really play until the, the last month of the season. So I think that does explain a lot of it too. Yeah. So yeah, I agree. I think Browning and Smith have gotten too much blame over for the regression of the last couple of years, when really it's kind of a, it's, it's kind of a more, the blame didn't be shared a little bit. But the 2017 offense, I mean, they could really run the ball. They, they graded
1: out at number 18 in effective rush. They were 27 on effective pass, but you could roll into 2018. I mean, they graded out at 42 on effective rush. I mean, 49 on effective pass. So, yeah, there, there's some regression on passing, too. But the really big step back was
2: running the football. Yeah, and so they lost Trey Adams for most of the season. Yeah. Uh, their starting left tackle, who was kind of their anchor. And I think we talked at the beginning of last season, and they were returning to – maybe three starters. It was unknown whether Adam's was going to play because of that um, knee injury. Well, the knee was fine, but he tweaked his back the week of the Auburn game and he missed a couple of months. So, um, so they were really only returning two on the offensive line from, um, from 2016 or from 2017, I should say. And then also Gaskin uh, got really got hurt for the first time in his career against Oregon. And he had to miss a couple of games. So, Yeah, the running game wasn't really the same last season either, and I think that that's one area where you know fans I think could be rightly concerned going into 2019. Here is that you know the running game wasn't special last season, and you just lost you know your one of your all time rushers.
0: Well, let's get into the running backs then and talk that first. Before we do, we didn't do any of the housekeeping items. If you want to subscribe to the podcast, you can find us on iTunes, Google Play, TuneIn Radio, you name it. We're out there. You can follow us on Twitter at 12 Pack Radio, at 12 PAC Radio. And Rob, where can people find you?
1: People can find me at uh, Beta Rank Football, you know, Beta Rank FB, and then also at Sharp College Football.
0: Yeah. And where, where's the Dog Pod at? Come on, Alex. Throw that So we're
2: up. at Dog Pod. D a w g p o d and then you can find me. I'm the Law Dog Pod, L a w d a w g p o d. There we go.
0: Yeah, F- follow everybody. Have a good time. A Good time was had by everyone. Um, <laughs> but let's get into the running back here because, uh, like you mentioned, it, it was. I was really excited about Miles Gaskin. It's always awesome when you have a second person and Ahmed behind uh, behind a top running back. I love that that one two combo. And Gaskin gets hurt. And uh, I, I was just really hoping, I'm like, all right, man, here's your time to shine. And it didn't quite happen. Um, and I'm curious to see the guys behind him, right? Obviously, we know our number one. Um, but you have somebody like McGrew who is like the number 10 running back or top 10 running back in 2016. You have a freshman in Cameron Davis, a guy that came in um, as another top 10 running back. You got somebody like Richard Newman, who's a big guy. Um, And then you got some unheralded uh, guy like uh, Kamari Pleasant. So what what do you have there in that unit? Because I could see a scenario where – Maybe two guys are sharing the load or maybe they throw in a third guy with somebody really taking more of the shoulder, more on his shoulders than everybody else. But I just I'm not quite certain where Washington is in regards to that running game.
2: Yeah, well, I I think that that's a great question. Ahmed has the skills and the talent and the athleticism and the speed. I mean, he is, you know, he's as good an athlete as there is in the conference, frankly. But for whatever reason, the coaches are just reluctant to give him 30 carries a game. And they just weren't with Gaskin. I mean, they just they relished giving Gaskin 30 carries a game. So I don't know if that's whether it's because of his inside running capabilities or, uh, but they try to kind of use him more on the outside stuff. And then um, during that time when Gaskin was down, yeah, they, they relied a lot more on Sean McGrew, a guy who was pretty highly recruited, but he's really small. And so, you know, he gets, he has that low center of gravity and he's got some wiggle, but, You know, if you can get him going down, um, you know, he's, he's a small guy. So, um, Kamari pleasant, like you mentioned, kind of a bigger guy. He was more of a, he was actually recruited technically as an athlete, right? He didn't really have a, that known position coming out of high school. And, but you know, a guy, yeah, again, who wasn't really highly recruited. We're going to talk a lot, I guess, about some other positions where Washington has recruited pretty well, but running back just kind of isn't one of them. I don't think, um, That's why I think fans are really excited to see Cam Davis. He is kind of the more high, one of the more highly recruited guys we've we've uh, been able to sign the last few years. So, um, you know, I I expect that they will really do a lot of mixing and matching, a platoon type situation. I know Ahmed will get his 15 or so touches because they were committing to that even last year with Gaskin. But um, as far as beyond that, I, I think it's a big open question.
0: I don't want to poo-poo what Ahmed did. I mean, 608 yards, 5.8 yards per carry and seven touchdowns. That's good. <laughs> like, and more than 150 yards receiving. Um, so it's not like you guys aren't starting and, from. And, yeah. and I loved him last year. I was so excited to watch him at the beginning of the year.
2: Yeah. And, and we should say too, he was a little bit banged up himself. He was kind of more in the Bryce love category where he was kind of just like a little bit banged up on that. I think it was a knee all season. So it was like, he was kind of in and out. So, you know, I, I am anxious to see him fully healthy, but again, you know, he's a little bit more of a slender, higher center of gravity type of guy. So, you know, if he can stay healthy for that time, that may be why the coaches are reluctant to give him so much uh, work.
0: Hey, one more question was Cameron Davis, uh, did he, was he able to show up early like in, and participate in spring or are we going to see him in fall and kind of hear how he's able to get into the offense then?
2: So he, um, I don't think he was there in the spring. Um, I may be, I may have to stand corrected on that. I'll look that up, but, but I think he's a guy that they really, I mean, he's going to have an opportunity. He's going to have a shot to prove himself because you know, nobody's really taken that job and run with it. So let's talk. Let's talk the, the the position that everyone is super
1: excited about. Yet we don't have a name starter. <laughs> let's talk well, a little quarterback. You know. <laughs> <laughs> um,
2: oh him! Oh him! Yeah.
1: I mean, I mean the the Fiesta de Jake, right? Like, uh, so we've got. <laughs> Uh, Jacob Eason um, and a lot of, I mean, a lot of folks, in, I mean, including us at various times at various times have written his name in pen, if you will, <laughs> um, as, yeah. as the likely starter. And I, I, I get a lot of, um, you know, when I say I have questions, you know, uh, and I, uh, you know, about this Washington team coming into the season, there's a lot to like, but there, you know, there's, there's questions. One of them is a quarterback, I think. Um, and, you know, people push that Eason, you know, has wowed on the scout team. And, um, I mean, I, I, I I have seen this movie before with Connor Brewer, um, at Arizona, who was a five star who went to the university of Texas and then didn't make the cut there and then transferred back and wowed on the scout team. And I don't, I think he may have played some downs at Virginia, but (laughs) had a long quixotic college career all over the place. Um, so I, I really want to see it on the field. Um, but Jake Hayner sort of like, won't go away, but I guess it, it, I mean, and, and we do, we, we, we just talked to Alicia Deltar Artola about USC and like last season, um, for USC's quarterback competition, like nobody really wowed, um, you know, and, and, and Daniel sort of like kind of won by default, I guess you could say, um, and it almost feels like, some, like what has come out of spring and the conversation is that no one's really wowed. And it, it, it's something that, like when we look at what fell off really for the offense last season, like a lot of it was on big plays, explosive plays. And like the quarterback's going to be relied on or a lot for uh, coming up with that. And I mean, if, is, is, do people feel confident about Eason and, you know, Hayner? Is it, is it really over and it's going to be Eason?
2: Well, at the risk of of being another one of the Washington over-optimistic Jacob Eason truthers, um, <laughs> I, let me let me throw let me throw let me throw a couple. He's a tall man, Alex. He's very tall. I, yeah, he's, he's very <laughs> tall. Yeah, he's very tall. The body alone, right? Um, no, I, I, I think with it, I didn't. Obviously, it's never spring practice. But the spring preview that they do invite the public to, I, I did attend and. I'll just tell you, I didn't see them ask their quarterbacks to throw the ball downfield at all. It was a lot of like crossing routes and short stuff. And I think either that was designed to not show anything or that was designed to judge the quarterbacks on the same type of plays, knowing that, Hey, if our, our plays call for 50 yard passes, Jake Hayner's not going to be in that competition. So, um, so I don't know how to really explain that, but that's one observation that I really struck me as as we were uh, watching the spring preview and the other thing I'll, I'll say is I just I don't think Chris Peterson has any has absolutely zero interest in giving any kind of a tip his hand in any way or putting the pressure of being that guy in the offseason on Easton so to to answer your question, do we think it's going to be him? Yes. I am okay. 98% sure it's going to be him. Um, and I think that those are just kind of a little bit of smoke screens that are going out. And I also, you know, Jake Cater's a guy who's been in the program, who committed to the program, you know, when they were uh, when they had basically uh, their worst record under Chris Peterson. And, uh, you know, I think they're trying to reward him by saying, Hey, you're a guy who's been here and has been working hard and you're going to have a chance to compete for this. And
0: you know, uh, that'd be my take on it. You got to make the transfer earn it. You know, like, I mean, I I just, anytime you have a guy that's, that clearly looks to be, you know, all for all intents and purposes, he's the guy, but you got to at least make sure that there's a competition there, you know, going back to his time at Georgia. So he threw for about 55% completion rate, 2400 yards you know again this is two years ago but 16 touchdowns eight interceptions played like a freshman yeah I mean, yeah exactly and he,
1: he wasn't he wasn't Trevor Lawrence right like I mean he he played like
0: a freshman but he's just so tall. He's got a big arm, though, right? Isn't that, that that's the other thing, though? I know I, I'm being facetious, but he's it. got a he got a pretty solid. Are we, we drafting
1: an 18 year old first baseman? Like he's just so big, he'll grow into it. Such
0: like. a handsome man. <laughs> <laughs> but but how is his arm strength, Alex? I would assume it's he's got a cannon, but I'm not quite certain.
2: No, I mean I think all the tools are there. I right? I think it's really just a matter of okay, did you. Jacob Beeson learned this offense well enough to lead it right out of the gate with a team that hopes to be competitive. You know, when it was Jake Browning, who was starting as a true freshman team didn't have a lot of alternatives and they weren't expecting, you know, to go to a new Year's six bowl game. And that's just not the case anymore. So I, I think that, you know, if he has some growing pains along the way, I think things could get a little bit ugly in terms of you know, like I don't know if we're going to get in the schedule, but you know, you got Cal in week two. That's a good sense. And I mean, if Easter doesn't look yes. very good, yeah, uh, then I could see you know you could see some clamoring to see more of Jake Hayner. But I think from what I've seen last year of Jake Hayner, I'm not that eager to see more of him. But uh, I mean, you not know, the like football coach, <laughs> yeah. Both
1: Bushing and two Jakes looked very confused against that Cal defense. I mean, if you're not afraid to bench Jake Brown, I mean, I don't think anyone's going to be afraid to to bench, you know, uh, any of these guys. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. Hey, let's do a choose your own adventure here. Alex, we can do the tight end back rub. Or we can do the we,
1: I want to say before we get before we get ourselves in trouble with Husky fans for not being optimistic enough, like I do think Eason has a lot of tools. And like, I like I think he's going like he's likely going to play better. He's going to take a step forward from what he was at Georgia. He's likely learned some things, right? Like but we, we want to see him prove
2: it.
0: Is that fair, Alex? Yeah, I
2: mean he gets a first he gets he gets a soft landing spot against eastern Washington in week one, right? Um yeah. you know, that that's a team that you know Although they've been kind of plucky in Division One Double A, they're they're not a team that should be giving him any problems. So I mean, if he looks yeah. good, then I think that that's a good start. And then you got Week Two to against Cal to really see, you know, where he is against a, one of the best defenses you're going to see in Pack in the Pack Twelve this year. So I mean, if he really really struggles, then you know that's going to be another data point, and we just have to kind of go from there. I I personally am optimistic. I I think. You know, you see a guy who had pretty decent numbers as a freshman in the SEC. Um, I expect that, you know, with a couple of years down the road with, you know, coming back home where he wanted to go. And, um, you know, he's been working with this team for a couple of years. He's anxious to get out there. I, I would think he's going to do better. But, um yeah, know, I know that Husky fans are overly optimistic. I do think that they should be a little more cautiously optimistic.
0: Well, you know, you get the big player coming in and I I really hope that he tears it up immediately. And man, against a Cal defense, wouldn't that be awesome if <laughs> after coming off that game, probably one of the worst games in uh, Chris Peterson's career. Uh going from that game to yeah. dropping, you know, dropping a forty burger on him, that'd be awesome. I don't think that'll happen, but it would be really fun to watch and it'd be a hundred percent awful. Well, I'm glad it's at home.
2: Oh, yeah, that is good because i was i was I was in Berkeley last season, and it was i mean we were just oh. scratching our heads, we couldn't believe what was happening but but that was Cal's really coming out party, you know they had really uh had just three terrible games going into that week, and no one really you know knew that they were for real like, we knew we knew
1: the defense we we but the offense was like a comedy of error. i mean you had Brandon was wayne just <laughs> it like it
2: was. yeah and it it, and that day it was just handed off three times and punt i mean that was what it was all day so you know they just said we're taking the ball out of your hands quarterback and letting our defense make a play and that's what happened
0: so alex we could do the the tight end back massage or which top 10 wide receiver is behind door number one uh where, where do you want to head right now
2: Well, let's get to our back massage because I just love talking about our tight (laughs) end.
0: Hunter Bryant is such a monster. I was so glad that he was able to get on the field when he was injured last year. I was so bummed about that because, um, and we talk about this on the podcast a lot. I think that tight ends, especially good ones, are cheat codes. It's really difficult for a 5'11", undersized linebacker to cover, oh, I don't know, a a lumbering 6'5", 240-pound just, Physical specimen. And that's what you have in Hunter Bryant. Now, he's only 6'2. I I just assumed that he was like 6'5 or something like that, but a big dude. And even in five games, he was averaging 20 yards per catch. He had uh, 11 catches for 238 yards. I heard that in spring, he had a really good rapport with Eason. Can you talk a little bit about what he brings to the table and whether or not you think um, you're going to see a focus on the tight ends and we haven't talked about the the backup guy kate otten who's awesome too um and really played his way onto the field but how did the titans fit into this this offense and am i over am i overblowing the connection between eason and bryant because i know it is spring ball you know it's kind of hard to, to gauge but it just seemed pretty promising
2: yeah, I, th- I think that that is something that came out of the media a lot. and It's something fans latched onto because they're hoping that it's true. It, it also happened <laughs> to be true that the top, I think, three or four receivers were banged up and not really playing in the spring. So, um, you know, I guess I'll let you kind of choose your own adventure on that one. But um, I-, I think what makes Bryant so special is, one, he's really got just a ton of athleticism. He can really jump. He can really run he had a monster game in the apple cup in just a torrent of snow at the end of last season. And it, it I mean, it was just like he took over the game in a way in the second half. So um, not to take any away from miles Gaskin who had maybe one of his best games also, but just the Brian, you can see, you really see what he does when he's just streaking down or across the field, especially against, like you said, an undersized linebacker or corner. So, you know, and I think, Eason is a guy who's starting up at six, five, who can throw the ball up high and, you know, can keep that ball away from defenders and Bryant can just go up and get it. And I think that's something the Huskies are planning on doing a lot of, especially in the red zone where they really struggled last season. So yeah, I think that is exactly what they want to see. Now, whether it plays out like it did in the spring with all that rapport, you know, remains to be seen. But, uh, but I think that's definitely something that we're going to be watching for.
0: I was really impressed with because I'd never heard of this guy before. So Kate Otten, um, six five, two hundred and fifty pound, true I think he was a true freshman on the field. Um, you know, thirteen catches, hundred and seventy four yards, he had three touchdowns, but he really earned his spot there filling in for Hunter Bryant. Is is there um, is there going to be are we going to see him on the field now that Bryant's healthy? Um, and, you know, obviously he can fill in every once in a while, but uh, more in a, in a prominent role. Is he somebody that can go out there and block that can really earn his his keep on the field? Or is he going to kind of be relegated back to uh, kind of bench time?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think he was a pleasant surprise last season. He was a walk-on who had had a really good spring going into last season. Everyone was like, oh, okay, well, here's a walk-on who, you know, but we have Hunter Bryant. We don't care. And (laughs) then it turned out Bryant had had surgery and, oh, but, oh, wait, you know, he's now the backup to Drew Sample. Um, but despite sample who was, you know, also a pretty high NFL draft pick, uh, Otten got on the field quite a bit. And I think that's something these coaches do. They, they will mix and match, put a lot of different, uh, tight ends on the field. I expect anyone who shows up on the depth chart at all to be playing at least some snaps. And if they're out there, then they're going to get targets and they're not just going to be asked to block. So yeah, I think we will see Otten. It's possible we could see multiple tight end sets. Uh, that's yeah. not something they really do a lot, but yeah, I, would, I think they have the personnel to do it if they want to. Yeah, absolutely, and it's. It's. I think it's something that if
1: you if you have it, and um, you know, as we sort of transition and talk about the wide receivers, like you mentioned it. The worst, we're waiting for some. Uh, there's there is some talent. There is definitely some guys that they've recruited. I mean, including bringing in a guy this year, Puka Nakua, who I think a lot of people are excited about. But if you look at sort of like where the the, the best returning production is, and there's almost everybody's back for the wide receivers, it's among your slot receivers. Um, and you know the, the the Huskies really need somebody to step up at the outside. If nobody is emerging, you might as well go too tight end set. Um, but, and I think that's what's
2: kind of happened last year as yeah.
1: we had that issue. Yeah. Um, but is there, I mean, so like, uh, like, I, I do want to praise, I mean, I I think the Huskies and it, it, like if you have solid slot receivers and a good tight end, like your quarterback, you know, and, and, and a pass catch, and I can catch the ball out of the backfield. Like your, your quarterback can sleep well at night. Um, but what I think will like will sort of unlock a key for this offense is, you know, somebody really emerging on the outside, um, you know, to to, in, to fill in in the way that Pettis and John Ross did. And is, there, is there anybody that really, you know, has has torn it up in spring or in practice that, I mean, I haven't heard. I mean, as you mentioned, most everybody seemed to have been hurt
2: <laughs> on, on the showcase. Be, um, yeah, in the spring.
1: Yeah. I mean, but like, is there, are there, is there someone that, you know, Husky fans are sort of like on message boards, like really, you know, excited about coming into the season. I mean, we, we got to hear last season from, you know, Colorado folks about LaViscus Chenault before he became national LaViscus Chenault. Um, You know, and I I think there's definitely the opportunity for someone to come in here and have that, you know, maybe not that kind of effect, but, you know, at least get like, you know, 50, 60 catches.
2: Yeah. I mean, that was the big question going into the last season and you're right. It just wasn't really answered. Um, you know, Aaron Fuller really started out the season as that guy. He, I think he had a hundred yards against Auburn and, and had a really nice catch on the sideline. I can't remember if it was him or Ty Jones who scored a touchdown that game, but, um, you know, it looked good early on, but for whatever reason, Fuller started dropping off. Um, Quinton pounds, who's a guy who had kind of had a few games where he at the end of 2017 gave fans hope, you know, wasn't really on the field much, um, due to injuries and and whatnot. And so the fans were, I think really last year looking to tie Jones to be that guy. He's kind of more of your six, three, you know, runs like a gazelle kind of receiver. And he definitely had his moments, but he just had, didn't really break through in, you know, a full season of work and he really had the opportunity. And so, um, you know i think if you ask the fans they're looking forward to seeing some guys who really haven't been on the field so far they kind of you know prefer the devil they don't know right now (laughs) and uh and and uh i'd say the guy who really had the spring was austin osborne and because in that 2018 class we signed really two um two really highly recruited guys, Marcus Spiker and Austin Osborne. And Spiker is the guy who's all the tools and all the natural talent. Um, But he just, for whatever reason, has not really earned his way onto the field yet. Osborne is the guy who in the spring was just catching everything thrown his way and looked a lot more polished. And so I think he's probably the first one of those two to be on the field. And then, like you mentioned, uh, Puka Nakua, you know, I think one of the reasons the Husky coaches really targeted him and really put a lot of resources into recruiting him at the end of the last cycle was he is just so kind of considered to be game ready. Um, And he's just kind of a tireless worker, um, you know, at that position. So I think those two guys, I think are probably the first two guys on the field, but I wouldn't also totally sleep on Fuller and Jones um, who had some pretty nice moments last year. They just didn't put it together for a whole season. So, you know, it remains a big question mark. I don't think we could say any of those guys is going to be a breakout star or Jacob Eason's go-to target. But there is plenty of talent among that group that they should find somebody. You would think, uh, and and you know, a lot of I think a lot of fans pointed at Browning and said, "Hey, Browning's not getting them the ball, or um, you know, he's he's not uh, looking for those guys." And so, you know, that's an opportunity for Eason also to just rear back and chuck it up for some of those guys. And
0: uh, we'll see what we'll see what connects. I
2: personally think somebody will emerge, but um, you know, we just, we haven't totally seen it yet.
0: About three years ago, I tried to make sure to follow the recruiting of major teams in the PAC 12. It was one of the reasons that I was on Stanford like seven or eight years ago. I'm like, Holy smokes, did you guys see what's going on with Harbaugh and this recruiting in the last couple of years that this team should be fairly good. And Andrew Luck was part of this class oh, yeah. and stuff. So I like learned my lesson a long time ago. And one of the things that I was tracking was, uh Chris Peterson's ability to recruit at the wide receiver because for a while it wasn't really that good and and you kind of there there was that dip and, and then about three years ago, that started to change. And so a lot of the people, I think there's a lot of people listening to this podcast that aren't Washington fans. So just know like the people that we were talking about, whether it's Spiker, Austin Osborne, um, Quentin Pounds, I think was a top recruit, Puka Nakua, Lowe, like these are Ty- Tyrell Bynum, like, or Tyrell Bynum. These are all top 50, top 25 wide receivers that class after class. So, on paper, the talent's there. We just haven't seen it yet. So I don't know. I think this is one of the more fascinating position groups in the Pac-12. We had just talked about USC's secondary last, last podcast, which was also really it was kind of interesting. It was, it's similar. You have really top talent, really hasn't been on the field yet. So let's, let's see what they do. Um, so definitely a position to watch while you're, uh, while you're digging the Huskies.
2: I totally agree with that. And let me just add also that they've also had a lot of turnover at the receivers coach position. And oh, yeah. so it's, it's kind of tough to know how much of a role that has played, but I mean, Bush Hamden, who's now the office coordinator was receivers coach in 2016. Then in 17 and 18, they had a guy named uh, Matt Lubick and uh, he has kind of moved on whether he was asked to leave or left on his own. But he's not there. And they've the they've hired Junior Adams as their new uh, receivers coach who's getting great reviews, especially on the recruiting trail. But um, so, you know, a lot of turnover on something in the staff area is like makes it difficult to develop players as well.
1: Yeah, and, and Lubick went to uh he's like the vice president of a credit union. Like he left coaching football altogether. Oh <laughs> really? Like his <laughs> yeah, yeah, like his, yeah. His, his he's he's Sonny like I so he's Sonny Lubick's kid and Sonny Lubick was like a legend coaching Colorado State in Fort Collins. And um Matt yeah. Lubick went to uh like back to Fort Collins uh to like take a take a, a a job at this credit union. Some things you just can't you can't make up, you know. Yeah, I mean on Unexpected, like. (laughs) Um, But when we look at like, and like, I think that there's a lot of. I think there's a some of it. I would say even a lot of hype around the Oregon offensive line. I mean, I think that they have some fantastic talent there, and particularly with Sewell. Um, But if we look at Washington's offensive line coming into this season, I mean, you guys are really stacked. Like, I mean, you're only really replacing one starter, but Trey Adams comes back off of injury. And, and, you know, and so you're sort of shuffling around guys that, you know, even played quite a bit last season in the absence of Adams. Um, there's a lot of talent to really like on this offensive line. Um, You know, like, do do you think that they they can sort of gel? I mean, because they didn't quite gel last season and they weren't able to really run the ball effectively. But do you think that they can gel this season um, and really put it together? Because I don't it doesn't look like anybody was really playing wildly out of position last season.
2: Yeah, no, I I think that is that's a big question. I think if not now, then when? Because th- well, there's three seniors on this group, so you know they're going to be <laughs> it's going to be rebuilding time next year. Um, yeah. But I was I was trying to look up how many starts they had among them, and it's 107. And when I saw Oregon had over 150 starts as an offensive line, I couldn't even believe that. I was doing the math in my head like, is that even possible? But <laughs> um, but so yeah, that's a very experienced offensive line, but, uh, but don't sleep on Washington's either. Yeah. I mean, this year, basically everybody who's coming back has been a full-time starter either last year or before the year before. So, um, you know, there's definitely Hilbers who filled in okay for Adams at left tackle is now going to slide over to right tackle and replace Caleb McGarry, who was uh, drafted in the NFL. And then Harris Wattenberg and Jackson Kirkland up the middle are all basically, you know, as they were last season. So I I would hope that this is the year that these guys really gel. And we talked about those running backs and maybe how there's a little bit of a question mark there. Um, And also, you know, talking about Browning and his play under pressure, that's, that was a lot subject of a lot of criticism last year a good offensive line will make both of those props go away. So I think that's what the Huskies are really hanging their hat on is saying, Hey, this is going to be one of our best offensive lines in some time. And that will ease the transition of this new quarterback, in this new running game.
0: Just to tie a bow on the offense. And then Rob, I want you to go through the, um, what Bader had on Washington's defense. Cause I'm sure it's very, very filthy. <laughs> <laughs> that is, I, I love watching Washington's defense. Um, so there is a lot of optimism. I think we've been optimistic on this podcast in regards to where Washington could be on the on the offensive side of the ball. But you're replacing a quarterback that you know f- for for good or for worse. I, I think that Browning certainly had his flaws, but certainly the the wins speak for themselves. And I think there's something to be said for a consistent quarterback for the most part. Um, but you have to replace him. You have to replace Miles Gaskin. You have um, you have somebody like uh, is it Salvan or Savon? I always forget. Salvan. Salvan. Yes. Yeah. So you have somebody like Salvan Ahmed, and then some guys that were are, that have pedigree, but maybe haven't seen the field as much. And then you have a wide receiving core where the top three guys were pretty good, um, not great, with a bunch of really high level talent behind them. You have a good tight end and a good offensive line. If you were to guess, Alex, where Washington would finish at the end of the year in the Pac-12, where where does the Washington offense f- kind of settle at the end of the year?
2: So I think if last year we are probably in the middle, if not the back half of the conference. Um, I, I do expect some improvement this year. I think they'll probably be in the top three or four. But I think that really depends on you know, not only is playing well, I expect that he's going to play at least fine, but also staying healthy. Um, and then Ahmed, same thing there. You know, we know he's got the talent. We know he's going to get the ball and he'll be fine, you know, 15 times a game. But if he's not healthy, then it starts, it could start to get ugly at that position too. So, so I think as a hedge, you know, I think it's probably a top third of the conference, um, but it's hard to put it higher without seeing more uh, actual production from some of these guys. I don't know. What do you think?
1: I have a question, and we've been we did this for Utah fans last year, so um, congratulations. It's your turn, Washington. Like man, 2020 sets up to be a. F- Potentially fun you I mean, yes, you lose three starters on the offensive line, but I mean it's gonna be the baby dog defense this season with so much production gone, you know, they, they could be, you know, like returning a ton next year. You know, potentially returning Eason back as a, you know, a, a second year starter. You know, My question is, 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 is is Hamden because, you know, if 2020 is the year, I look at this Washington team. And again, I, you know, if I look at a projection, I think like this is, this is a potential playoff team. You know, is Bush Hamden, does he have to show that he can do it this year? Because I, if, if I'm Chris Peterson and I know I have that kind of talent coming back and if they underperform this season and don't look like there's a step forward, I feel like you got to make a move. You know, to 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 go get somebody to 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 maybe get you there.
2: I I totally agree with that. I think this is a huge year for Hamden. I think last year there was a lot of times there were a lot of times last year where it was the play calling was just cute. They were doing these like cutesy plays and you know, that is kind of a Chris Peterson trademark, but when they backfire, they just, they look so bad and just they backfire so miserably. Right. Uh, at the end of that Auburn game, when they kind of tried that little trick play um, kind of is the one that stands out, but there were a few others. And so, yeah, I think Hamden, you know, he's really got to show that he belongs at this level. Um, the, the Washington coaching staff has sunk a lot of resources into their defensive coaches they're paying Jimmy Lake and Quickkowski, you know, both like coordinators, um, like pac 12 yeah. coordinators. And so, you know, they have been a little bit lighter on the offensive coaching staff. Like Jonathan Smith, you know, was a first time coordinator. Now Bush Hamden last season was a first time coordinator. So I do think that, yeah, this is a huge year for Hamden. And yeah, I think Peterson like fans probably has 2020 circled on his calendar as well. Because yeah, you're right. It's that's a team that looks like it could be really good if things go according to plan. And just the way that they've recruited behind the group that's in the two deeps this year, um, you know, particularly in places like the offensive line where they're going to need to replace bodies. So I I think that 2020 is shaping up to be a big year. And and that means 2019 is a pretty big year for Bush Hammond. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and I, I, I'm not trying to put, like, pressure in or, like, put somebody on the hot seat, but,
1: I mean, like, 2018, Washington's, I mean, to hit some of the defensive numbers, like, they were the number six defense overall in beta Rank. Like, they were great. Um, and you, you know, the year before in 2017, they came in at 25, they had a little bit of a step back with some of the, you know, the the losses they had, particularly in the secondary, but man, last season, like they really turned it up and, and, bounced back. And I mean, one of the things they did really well is really contain explosive drives. I mean, they ranked number five, so they did not give up big plays. They really made you go the length of the field against them. Um, but yeah, so this, I mean, this season, they, they lose I think it's nine starters and they rank 130 out of 130 on Bill Connolly's returning production which is the, the statistic I use to, to model out um, you know the effect of you know returning starters and, and returning production on, uh, on the next year. Um, there's a lot of uncertainty about the defense and, and, and but they still project to be good because even when they lose production Kowatowski and Lake you know generate out a, a solid unit.
2: Yeah. I I think it it kind of, yes. I mean, everything you said is correct. I, I think though that, you know, most teams don't just play with a starting 11, you know, there's there's a few guys in there who, who get a lot of work and those guys will be back for Washington and will be starters this year. So I think what what I saw on Twitter from one of our uh, competitors was uh, 42% of snaps played last season on defense are returning. And I, yeah, it wouldn't shock me if that was number 130 because that's not very many, but at the same time, um, you know, we've seen enough of at least probably a handful of these guys to know that they're going to be good enough to play on this defense. I do think there are definitely some question marks though.
0: Well, on the defensive side, Particularly on the line, you know, a few years ago you lose Vitavea, Greg Gaines steps up, and Gaines was awesome last year. Like, I really liked him. Um, and I heard a lot about, and they're different players, which is what my question is, but a player like Levi uh, Anwuzarike was somebody that you guys had highlighted as somebody that just is a a beast, just a monster, like a really, really athletic good guy on that line and he seems to be the featured guy on the defensive front this year. What type of player is he and how do you use him on your defensive front?
2: Yeah. So I I agree with that. I think he had kind of that breakout season or at least, you know, flirted with that breakout season that we were expecting last, last year. Um, I think he's, if he, he's more of a three technique, um, than a, than a, um, been a two-gap guy like Vita Vea was, yeah. so I mean he's a little bit on the lighter side, um, but I mean he was really disruptive, especially when he's one-on-one, you know, and that's the type of guy that you really need. So you want him to command a double team, but he's not necessarily, you know, making tackles and chasing down ball carries off of a double team. But he's a really he he also really I think broke out last year in having um, some pressure on the quarterback. And that was something that was really kind of the new part of his game. So, yeah, I think he's going to take that mantle and and run with it on the defensive front that we've had the last few years. I mean, it's you know it's hard to say anyone's as good as Bita Vea or Greg Gaines, frankly. But um, I think he's he's definitely the leader of this unit, and he's probably their feature player.
0: Who are the, I was trying to put together who the other guys are going to be on your defensive line. Normally, you put three there, and I, I want to say like. Maybe it was two years ago, or it was almost like two, because Veya was such a monster. I just remember watching a couple of games with my head tilted, going... Oh, that that's interesting. Uh, and then I saw how big V to was and how crazy it was. And the fact that Greg Gaines was right next to him. I'm like, oh yeah, that makes sense, I guess. Um, but who who else is gonna be there uh, with Levi kind of putting pressure on the quarterback? Because I just in the in the last couple of years I just that defensive line has been really fun to watch and I don't quite know I the one area I haven't been tracking is how you've been recruiting on the defensive line.
2: Yeah, so I think kind of the way I look at uh, really all of these position groups that we're going to talk about here is there's kind of your inside and your outside guys. And on the inside, actually, we're pretty good both on the line and linebacker, but the outside guys are kind of a question mark on both Mm -hmm. of those spots. And um, betting Potowae was kind of a a defensive end for us the last few seasons, and they're actually going to move him um, he's, he's range like a 285 pounder. Don't really have that gap anymore. So I, I think that you will likely to see uh, a third guy a lot more than they've done in the past. They don't really play with two down linemen that often, but they have done it uh, with that group. But I think it's probably like, if I had to guess, I think it'd probably be Josiah Bronson, who had kind of a nice end of the season last year and kind of replacing Potawai at end. But a guy who really you know, made moves in the spring was their freshman Taki Taimani uh, who used to go by Sam Taimani and everyone was talking about him uh, throughout the spring. And so I think it's possible we could see him as a true freshman uh, getting quite a bit of work down there. And in general, they just have rotated a lot of bodies there over the years. So, uh, you know, you're asking him, Hey, who's going to be the rotation. Geez, I don't know, but I know we'll see a lot of bodies down there. Um, Another guy to keep your eye on is uh, a redshirt freshman who really benefited from the four game rule last season, Tule Latule Gasanoa. Nice. And,
0: uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, and he, you know the Pacific he, Island he, A's, my man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and he's he's
2: your kind of 320, 330 pounder, and, and Taimani kind of fits into that as well. So, uh, um, you know, I think both of those guys will definitely get their share of snaps and, you know, coaches will just roll with whoever's being productive, but it's been an area, frankly. I mean, you know, Huskies have controlled the middle of the line of scrimmage on defense pretty well. The last few years, this is the first year where, you know, they've got definitely experience returning, but it's kind of, um, it's, it, it, they just don't have that two gap guy anymore. No, so I, think you hit,
1: on. I think you hit on a really interesting point. Cause I think a lot of fans, when they talk about defensive scheme, they get caught up in, are they a 3 4? Are they a 4 3? I mean, the real question about most defensive fronts is are you a one gap team or a two gap team? Um, and Washington has had guys that can play a lot of two gap and keep the linebackers clean, mm-hmm. you know, to make the reads mm-hmm. and come in. And, you know, you have your Ben Burr coming in and just, you know, cleaning up everything coming at them. Um, it, I will be, it, it will be really interesting to see Washington, you know, if if they have you know running out there guys in the two eighty range, <laughs> if the you know in the middle. Um, because Mm -hmm. that like, how does that, how does that change? Like, that would, that changes quite a bit about your defensive scheme right then. Um, because then maybe you're, you know, then maybe inside your one gap team. I mean, like, you it's not pure, right? Like, I mean, the Seahawks are a great example. Like they Seahawks usually will play, you know, they'll pick up one guy that can play two gap, you know, and then like, they'll have some of their other guys playing one gap to, you know, come in and like try to put pressure on the quarterback. But, um, yeah, I'm, I'm interested to see that because you're right. There's a lot of talent. A lot of it's unproven, you know, and uh, I, the uh, Tule, uh, <laughs> let's guess, a Noah. Yes.
0: Yeah, nice. <laughs> yep.
1: um, it's contagious. I mean, no, but he, I mean, he's a guy that you like you, you just in order to fit the scheme and, and do things that the defense wants to do that you could see play a lot more.
2: Yeah. And I think that's right. I, I think the, you know, it's going to be, I, if you had to, you know, put a gun to my head, I would say it's going to be a lot more situational first and second downs. They're going to have a bigger group out there. Third downs, it'll, it'll be 280 pounders, you know, or lighter. Um, I, that's just how my, my take on how it'll go. And I think if a guy earns his way onto the field to become an every down player, then they'll absolutely give him that opportunity. But, um, that is a position they've recruited really well. Um, another guy I just want to throw out there. He's probably redshirting this year, but he's kind of one of my secret little favorites. And by little, I mean, six, 336 pounds, uh, <laughs> Sama Paama from Hawaii. And he, I think showed up at enrolled this year and he's only 17. Um, but at that size at 17 years old, you know, and now they've got him in the, in the weight room. I think, uh, he's a name to think of, he's he, Hopefully soon, but it might be in, in the future. But uh I he's kind of their the future of that two gap huh. uh, down lineman.
0: Hey Rob, where did where did uh Washington rate out uh in terms of run defense in beta rank last year? Uh
1: so they, they were really balanced. They they graded out number ten an effective rush and number nine an effective pass. <laughs> like just a really, really solid defense uh there for the Huskies last year.
0: Do you have, so I'm, I'm a little, a little confused. I'm, very confused on the linebacking core. So, Rob, do you want to step in and ask some, some smart <laughs> questions than what I have?
1: <laughs> I don't have any smart questions. My question is, like, who replaces tackling machine Ben Burkirvan? Basically, right? Because <laughs> it's it's like, you look at the USC defense, and you're like, oh, yeah, that's where Cam Smith used to be. Um, <laughs> like, I mean, it's a little bit of the same thing with Washington, because Curvin was just so, such, so reliable and so good in his reads, really. I mean, like, he got downhill and often Read the gap properly, um, and was able to come in and make tackles. Like the and, and, and allowed the safety. I mean, your inside linebackers really allowed the safeties to to stay in and not have to do as much run support and really focus on the pass. Um, you know, again, like there's there's a lot of talent at the backing position, and I, I believe you actually turned that you return a starter who went out in the Rose Bowl with an injury. Um, but yeah, like I mean, how do we? How do you guys feel about the linebacker? Core coming in. Like, this is, this is, this is, it's not as bad as like the secondary where literally everyone's gone off to the NFL.
2: But so I would actually, I would, I would take a little bit of exception with that because I just, uh, the coaches that we have in the secondary and the way we've recruited that position, I'm actually far less worried about the secondary. Oh, no, no. I mean, like, yeah. No, I'm not, not, I'm not, I'm not taking away like the, the secondary is a strength of the team, but. Yeah, no, it, and I think this is a huge issue because th- they actually did a decent job recruiting this position, but they've had more attrition at linebacker than anywhere else, probably on the team. Um, so you mentioned DJ Beavers, or maybe you were referring to DJ Beavers, yeah, right? He yeah, kind yeah, of had to medically big, retire. Yeah. He was a guy who played really well when he had his chances, but he just he couldn't stay healthy. And finally, he just decided to hang him up. I mean, he was a guy who we were looking forward to having this season as a full-time starter for the, for the first time. Um, uh, but then they've also lost guys to other programs. Camilo Eisler was very highly recruited out of California. And then Brandon Aho out of Nevada, who ended up going to Alabama kind of on the 11th hour. So, I mean, you know, if those guys are all here and healthy, we're talking about how awesome these linebackers are, but that just isn't how college football works. So, um, we're talking about how there's nobody coming back. Um, Brandon Wellington is a senior. He's probably more in the Ben Berkirvan role as the middle guy. Um, He's actually, I think, pretty talented. He's played really well. I don't expect him to be an all American. So I, we're going to have a drop-off from Ben Berkirvan, but I think he'll at least solidify that position. Other than that, I really can't tell you who is going to be on the field. I mean, um, Kyler Manu, is um he's another guy who's a senior who's just kind of been working his way through the program. I think he's probably gonna get the first snap at the other inside linebacker position. Um and then when you kind of move outside, there's some guys who have all had their moments, but nobody's been really uh, spectacular in the times that they've been on the field. And that's Joe Tryon who's who started to come around a little bit at the end of last year. Ryan Bowman, who's been in the program, who's a walk on um, and who has been in the program and who's fine. But, um, you know, he's been losing playing time kind of in these last few years to guys like Tryon. And then another guy to keep your eye on is Ariel Nagata, who's another outside guy who's really more of a strictly a pass rusher uh, outside linebacker. I don't know that he's, um, you know, on the field and coverage all that often, So that's my kind of best guess. Um, And then I'll throw a little wild card at you. Edifuan Ulofoshio, who uh, is a walk-on from Alaska of all places. I mean, this is just so Chris Peterson, right? And uh, he actually forced two fumbles on special teams in a game last season. And the coaches are like, oh, wait, who's this guy? You know, we're going to give him. So he could actually, with all this kind of open – open spots on the depth chart, he could actually end up playing his way on there. That wouldn't surprise me all that much either. So those are some names. And then I didn't really even get into some of the freshmen. I mean, they're going to have chances. So uh, yeah, I think linebacker is wide open and it's kind of a big question mark. And until that gets answered, I don't know that you could say Washington's going to have a top 10 defense this season.
0: Yeah. It sounds like there's a likely drop off on the line and on the linebacking core which I mean like the secondary I think is going to be stacked with a lot of talent on paper and we'll go through that. But is, does that sound like that will be the case in regards to those two? I think, scores? I think it's,
2: especially linebacker. I think there's, I think it, it's only fair to expect a big drop off. D line is one. It's kind of like the receivers you were talking about on the offensive side where they've actually recruited a lot of talent there. And it's going to just kind of be interesting to see it play out and whether it's ready to blossom or not. So I could see it kind of going that way where there's a drop off, but I could also see them um, having some good players emerge. So um, but, you know, that's one. I'm that's the one I'm really, really looking forward to seeing uh, when they hit the field in August or uh, September here.
0: Yeah, and to be fair, right, top ten run defense. <laughs> so I mean, like, yeah. even if you drop to twenty, that's that's, that's still pretty solid.
1: Yeah. So I I will. I, I Like the last time Washington Which like 2016 Washington graded out Number two against the pass in beta rank Like they were just excellent Then they lost some guys to the NFL The next season they graded out 35 Then they bounced back last season They're number nine Like I mean I, I, Is it fair to expect a little drop off In the secondary I mean like don't these guys have to get I mean, their You're treating don't they, with don't kids they, gloves I mean, but, I mean don't I mean, These guys <laughs> just a feel tiny a little wet off. right Like come on <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I guess so I just I, say, cause like I have Washington fans that are like, no, there's no such thing as drop off. I'm like, I have the numbers that would drop off in 2017.
2: Like, come on, like it happens. Like people are human. All right. So I am, I'm really excited to be able to talk about these DBs. I, I know it's, it's hard to expect them to be top 10, right? We haven't seen them on the field enough. I, I totally understand that. Um, But I mean, you look at Keith Taylor, he's going to be on one side, one corner. He pretty much has a full season under his belt, and he's probably our biggest corner. Uh, He's the guy they match up on the Arcega white sides and the really big receivers. Um, And so I I think he's one guy I'm not really worried about. Then you got Miles Bryant, who's basically been a two or three-year starter at the nickel position, and now they're talking about moving him to free safety where they really do have some kind of some needs. Um, he's a super fast, really sure tackler. I think free safety will actually be a good spot for him. And then um, you look at Elijah Molden; He's the guy who has won uh, who won last spring the best hands in the room, which is the ward they all fight each other over. Um, and so I think he's looking at at least one of those spots as well. And then you got a guy like Tyler Gordon, who I haven't even mentioned who, who just made uh, I think it came out today or yesterday, Bruce Feldman's uh, freak list. He was on that list as kind of one of those freaky athletes, those twitchy athletes. So it's a cool list. Um, if you haven't checked out the freak yeah. list, check out the freak list. It's a cool list. Yeah. It I mean, really we
0: have, cool. I have a freak really list, but it's a little bit different. I mean, we don't have to talk <laughs> about that
2: here. Here's a, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, no, I, I think you look at those four guys and, you know, we typically play with five DBs, um, And so, yeah, I think those four guys are going to be solid. I think where you really have an issue is strong safety, where we're replacing Taylor Rapp, and we just don't really seem to have a natural replacement for him. And the guy who did play it for him in the Rose Bowl, Brandon McKinney, you know, how much does it stand out when you're watching football, right? And you see a bad secondary play? Well, for us, we've been so spoiled the last few years. We've been watching this great secondary and Brandon McKinney in the Rose Bowl just like stands out like the sorest possible thumb. He just had a really bad game against Ohio state. And so, but I mean, he's kind of there as, you know, he's the, he's the strong safety and waiting. So it's possible we could see a freshman or one of these kind of highly recruited guys, um, take over that role. But as of now, he's the starter. Um, So yeah, even though this group, I think, you know, hasn't had a ton of on-field experience and we haven't seen them all put it together for a full season. I think fans are rightly optimistic because of they're really highly recruited, really great athletes. And this uh, coaching staff has just coached them so well over the past few years. There's a lot of, um, you know, a lot of reasons to to trust them uh, going into this season, but you know, I think there's something to be said for until we see it that we're not going to know for sure.
1: Yeah, but I think there's like a, a – it's fair to say there's like a mileage may vary on, on players you haven't seen, you know, in full-time starter roles yet. But, I mean, like when I say I, – what I push back with Husky fans, I'm not pushing back that somehow like this is going to grade out as like the number 45, you know, unit against the pass or something like that. Like my pushback is like – hey maybe they're in the like low 20s this year like it's it's like maybe they're merely very good like it's it's hard to be excellent and usually when you're excellent you have like returning you know a lot of returning starters so um but i i I do think you're right like i mean lake's been there and they've been i don't think i don't expect the fall off to be tremendous
0: And I mean,
2: you know, to be, to to just be fair, they have lost a lot of elite players to the NFL. And so, you know, it's hard to say, Hey, you're going to keep doing that every year. I think it's, I think it's unfair to expect top 10 every year, but you're right. I think this will be one of the better units in the PAC 12. And if everything goes
0: right, then maybe better. Yeah. All right, Rob, hit him with hit him with the the hardest question in the world. What, where does Beta Rank have their season win total? <laughs>
1: <laughs> so Beta Rank projects Washington to come in at number twenty one. That's number two in the Pac twelve, and like the 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 like the workhorse projection model that I run. Um, they have, uh, and what I'm sort of forcing all of our guests to go through and do is Beta Rink projects Washington at eight point eight three wins. Um, and almost six conference wins like 5.99 wins in conference so would you take the over or the under on that uh the, those wins i mean that's you get utah this year you still have of course you know cal eases up a little bit in the non conference there's no auburn there um but you know like it's it's there's, there's there's some tough games on the schedule so you know would you take the over or the under on the
2: uh, almost nine wins 8.8 I, you know, I'm a homer. I'm going with the over. I'm going uh-huh. to be over on both. I'm going with the over on both and the conference too. I, I, I really like, it's not just the teams on the schedule this year, but it's where we have them. We have all our tough games at home and that just makes such a difference. Oregon, Utah, Cal, USC. Um, if you consider that USC a tough game, um, but all of those being at home this year, I think is a huge advantage for Washington and, uh, and in the apple cup, you know, that that's another one that'll be at home. And sooner or later, these kids are going to get us. But, um, until then, you know, that's another one that, uh, that, uh, that will help us to be at home. So I, I really like their schedule this year. I think it lines up really well. And, uh, you know, I understand the the hype around Oregon. They've got all the returning, you know, talent on offense, but, uh, the way coach is ready. And, and uh, and coach these guys up. I just have so much faith in them, so I'm taking me over. Yeah, I mean, if
1: I have questions about Washington, like I have w- lots of questions about Oregon. So, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's like I've had this sort of back and forth. Like it's sort of like a three team race in the Pac-12 this season with Utah being the other one. Like I, I have the fewest questions about Utah, but I would say they have the highest. They have the they they have the highest floor, but maybe the lowest ceiling. Like Washington and Oregon. Because of the way they've recruited, and like they have maybe some more unknowns, like they they have potentially higher ceilings than the Utes. Um, But I also like I I totally agree with that. Yeah, I'd be I'm happy. Like I would be happy if I was. Like, you do have Cal right off the bat, but you don't have to face Bradley and A and Fotu right off the bat against Utah because those two guys are monsters. And, like, everybody's talking about Justin Herbert, and I'm like, no, no, no. The best two players in the Pac-12 are Bradley and A and uh, Lucky Fotu at Utah. Those guys are phenomenal.
0: Those stupid that's yeah, that's be the Utah.
2: That'll be the Utah review. Sorry. Like I'm super excited. They, they, about the they have played Washington tougher than anyone in the last few years, even though the Huskies have won every one of those games. I don't think a single one of them was more than uh, six points or so uh, in the last four years. So um, that's going to be a, that's going to be a great one. Yeah, those were like fist fights the phone booth, like that. Those game.
0: <laughs> um, let, well, you know, we can only go uh, up from there. Um, let's let's end this here. Um, I think our next preview is either going to be Colorado or Oregon or Utah, depending on which one of our friends decides to join the podcast um, from our Pac-12 partners. Lawdog, thank you so much for coming on. We appreciate it. It's uh, it's always fun to talk Washington. This is one of the more most exciting teams in the Pac-12, and wish you guys luck throughout the season. Anything else you want to leave the fine people?
2: Well, no. Thank thank you, guys. Thanks for accommodating my schedule, and thanks for uh, doing a great job covering the conference. I hope to see you guys in Tucson. It's going to be my inaugural appearance in Tucson this year, hopefully. So I hope uh, that I'm able to see you guys there.
0: Taquiera, Pico de Gallo. That's where you got to go. That's the place. Don't don't go to Minanito. That place is that place, whatever. It's overrated. A, pr- a president went there one time. That doesn't mean it's good food. Um so, so right. we'll try I'm to show writing, you right I
1: mean it's it's not it's not te- like if you went there you wouldn't be like you would not be like oh man like Tucson Mexican food totally overrated. Yeah. it's actually quite <laughs> Which good. by the way if that's an opinion that you have that is a bad opinion. <laughs> <laughs> Just go home now.
0: <laughs> we'll do we'll do a taco and cheap beers tour or something so we're uh, we're looking forward to it. All right. Well, that'd be awesome. All right. Well, thanks again. You can follow the podcast on Google Play, TuneIn Radio, you name it. Just look up 12 Pack Radio. You follow us on Twitter at 12 radio. And uh, once again, where can people find the dog pod, Alex?
2: At dog pod. And you can find me, I am at law dog pod.
0: Nice. And and I almost said Rick. It's it's getting late. <laughs> Rob, where can people find people
1: follow you? They can find me at uh, BetaRank FB, BetaRank Football, and at uh, Sharp College Football.
0: Yep, sharpcollegefootball.com, the new website. Check it out. All of Rob's numbers. Thank you for coming, and we will see you next week.